Welcome back, Wrench Nation. Hanging out with you guys from the East Valley Institute of Technology. Your automotive lifestyle show every week. We're grateful and honored to have you maniacs hanging out with us. But first, we got to get a little Boodles Bam, baby. We always tell you that Budos Band, you guys can find that on Spotify. They're out of Staten Island. They've been opening the show since like 1967, maybe. We love the Budos Band, so check them out. I hope you guys have had uh, an amazing week. Uh, Susie Sockets is not in-house this week. It's all good. She's under the weather. If you're new to the show, WrenchNation.tv, Richard Rawlings uh, stopped by a few weeks back. You guys don't forget he's giving out that 2023 SRT Hellcat jailbreak. You can design it, people. We're not just giving you some organic-looking SRT. Uh, so you get onto the website there, uh, Gas Monkey Garage. And then really, we are super proud and honored about the last show that we had, which were, were sort of, a lot of you are business owners. I don't care if you're in the automotive arena, you're basket weaving, you're selling flowers, whatever the case is. What's your common theme right now? Well, many things, right? There's a lot of challenges in business. But your common theme right now is I can't find good people. So we had a very special show last week with uh, Chris Martin. Um, he was in prison. Uh, the show title is uh, From Inmate to Advocate, A Journey of Reform and Redemption. Chris Martin came out of a very, very rough background, turned his life around, and now is working on a program to help employ, legitimately employ, uh, these folks that are coming out of prison that don't have skills. Like a lot of them will be in the kitchen. We get that. Maybe as he said, they're throwing wet watermelons on a truck in a farm. But I know speaking for our automotive industry, we would love to take advantage of sort of a preliminary program that's already established with the rudiments and bring them into the garage, you know, and, and take over. So I think you guys will find that show fascinating. That's show 289. On this show, we're going to dive into uh, electric vehicle updates. Some of you see it and stuff. A lot of you actually, I've heard you. You texted me or whether it was email or text and talked about you're seeing an uptick in Tesla fires. We're seeing a lot of fires. My wife woke up and she says, did you hear about that Tesla fire? Everybody's talking about the Tesla fires. But the fact is this, we don't know what the case is unless you investigate it. And Tesla's out there putting a, a million plus vehicles on the road. So still a very safe vehicle, but we figured what we'll do on this show. Uh, we're honored to have Carl Anthony, uh, Automobile Blog's managing editor. He's going to join us in a little bit uh, to sort of dive into the latest news. What's happening? And as well, from a consumer point of view, what's happening for technicians in the service base? Some of you have been to the training. The training is out there. And some of you are saying, a lot of my shop owners are saying, how am I supposed to make a living? Elon Musk is not playing ball regarding providing parts like we see with the other OEs. It's getting a little better. But I know you, Tesla fan club, a lot of you, you beat me up on Twitter. <laughs> the minute you mention ICE to a Tesla Roddy mafioso, they get, they get crazy. So uh, we're going to dive into that with uh, with Carl Anthony, but uh, I want to make an announcement. Every week we try and do this. We've heard from you all over the country. Uh, Las Vegas, I know a lot of you. You gamble, but your car's broken. 
Yes. Maybe you got the jackpot and it's time to replace the motor. I don't know. I don't know what you're doing out there. But I can tell you, Frank's European service uh, is out in Vegas. These guys are top-notch. Specialty. They get into foreign auto maintenance service repair from Mercedes-Benz, Das Deutsche Lande, BMW, Audi, Volkswagen, Jaguar, Smart Car, Mini Cooper, the whole nine, and even Lexus. So if you're in Vegas or for my desert family out in California or right here in Phoenix, you're in Vegas and you are stuck. <laughs> and you got, you got some money in your pocket, maybe. Frank's European Service, frankseuropeanservice.com. Uh, they actually have a Golden Wrench Service program, which is really their high level. It's not just not just the shop owner or the, the business owner that speaks on this. This is every man and woman on deck that's committed to providing timely and consistent automotive services with integrity, quality, and value. Rockstar Frank out there, frankseuropeanservice.com. So go check him out. Uh, we've got Lucas Underwood, uh, who founded LNN Performance Auto Repair back in 2007. Way back then. He probably he probably etched himself out a whole start and realized, holy cow, like the rest of us, hmm, this is what i got to work on. But uh, he's come a long way. In fact, uh, we're going to bring him on now. Let's bring Lucas on. We're going to talk about an event that's coming up. Lucas, you there? I'm here, Frank. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. Listen, you you open. I want to talk about this because there's a lot of folks that are listening that are just starting out in business. Whether yeah, you know, whether it's the corner store dry cleaner or hey, you got a master level technician decides he wants the pain of opening up his own shop. Uh, kudos to him. You started in 07 and slowly built this yeah. thing to where I gotta congratulate you, brother. You just opened a beautiful brand new facility. I didn't blow and well, run. Thank you so much, man. I, I really appreciate it, and, and we're so happy to be in it. We, you know, we went from three bays up to ten bays, and and we we've seen a massive amount of growth over the years. And I just kept held, holding off. I, I wanted to maximize the potential that we had in that old facility. Uh, you know, we were typically doing one hundred twenty thousand a month in that old facility with just three bays. And so, uh, man, it had its challenges, but, but gosh, I, I gotta be honest, Frank, we kind of miss it a little bit. You know, we've got this new beautiful shop, but you got a brand new pair of shoes. You, you, you're growing into that next level, but you mentioned something, brother, you mentioned a thing that often in the industry, as far as industry talk and stuff, we don't pay attention to, and that's square footage utilization percentage. Yes. Um, yep. uh, you know, a lot of cats are maximized. And then, or not maximize. Let's say they're running at sixty percent, and they decide they're going to pop another location. Meanwhile, they 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 were dry about forty percent. You saw that, and that's when you probably triggered. Hey, you know what? It is time. It's time to get this done. Absolutely, absolutely. We 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 hit a threshold, and and we just could not get over that one twenty five mark every month. And so we we said, hey, look, we've got cars piled up outside. We don't have anywhere else to put the cars. Uh, we we could have so much more efficiency, and it could be safer, and it could be better lit, and everything could work, and and the the universe aligned perfectly to allow it to happen. So we took the jump, and and we are so happy to be in the new shop. It is an amazing facility, and and so blessed by all the people that helped us make it happen. Yeah, no, right on. That's the way to go. If you're listening, you guys want to get on a Facebook uh, automotive shop owners group. Uh, help me out, Lucas. This is really industry wide. It's not just shop owners. It, it, technicians can jump yep. in there. 
Absolutely. We, we started another group here recently called the Changing the Industry Podcast Group, um, and it, it's a result of, of our show, and, and, you know, that's kind of where this conversation we're having tonight came from, is that we wanted to bring the technicians into the conversation. For so long, they had been isolated from the conversations the owners were having. And, and you know, years ago, Frank, I had this, this discussion with a, a coach, a business coach that I was working with, and he said so much of what you're going through is because of unmet expectations. And, oh, and straight soon up. And I realized yeah. we're not talking about this. No, we're not. Let me let me just dive in because we, we've got – got a lot of my parents listening to the live show yeah. here and, you know – we are always promoting the East Valley Institute of Technology, the nationally ranked Skills USA, and so on. And a lot of times, like Joe or Jill consumer doesn't realize, like they probably get, like a business can't happen unless there's some sort of synchronization. But the question I have for you regarding technicians, mm-hmm. as shop owners or entrepreneurs or enterprise owners, shouldn't we be responsible the last 30, 40 years? Didn't we take this for granted? What are you hearing on the street about that? Absolutely. Absolutely. We took it for granted. And, and we had an abundance, right? And, and we, we recognized that we had people coming through the door who wanted to work, and we did take advantage of it. And in some ways, we just didn't set that expectation, Frank. We didn't set what it was that we were trying to accomplish. And now the, the tables have turned. There's not that many people out here anymore, and we recognize and we see our faults. We see the flaws that we had, we had been dealing with for years and years and years, and now as we start to take a step forward, it's time to bring us together. It's time to fix those situations where we're taking advantage of it, and you know there's a lot of really good shops out there trying to make that happen. Yeah, no, I've seen a big difference. Um, I've seen neighbor-to-neighbor type action, of course, out in North Carolina, ASTA, uh, an amazing organization. Uh, which you, you and many are spearheading. In fact, we'll just announce April 21st, people, Automotive Service Entire Alliance. Uh, they're having a whole jam-packed networking of learning and celebrating. And this is kind of where you're bringing it together, Lucas. You, you and many others have said, you know what, let's hear all voices and, yes. and bring it to the table. You're exactly right, and and that is the whole purpose of the event, right? At the end of the day, we want to put some technicians up on stage, and we want to give them the opportunity to share how they feel, share their experiences. We're going to ask some questions of them. Hey, listen, you've been saying that you've not been treated the way you want to be treated. You've been saying you've not got the benefits you wanted. You've been saying that, that things aren't working in your shop. Great. Here's your opportunity. Tell a group of owners. Tell a group of other technicians how you feel, and let's talk about it. Right. Let's stop trying to polish things and make them look beautiful and pretty. Let's really talk about the the true grit of our industry. And so that is what the fueling the connections event in April, April 21st in Charlotte, North Carolina, is all about. We're going to have uh, the first panel is going to be technicians. I'm going to be the moderator of the panel. We're going to have some technicians up there, some of the best technicians I know. We're going to ask them some hard questions. And then, Frank, we're going to jump right into a round table where we're going to allow everybody to come together and talk about what it was that we talked about. And right after that, we're going to follow it up. We're going to have some owners up on stage, some of the most powerful shop owners, some of the smartest shop owners I know personally are going to be on stage, and we're going to debrief. We're going to talk about what we can do better and how we can fix it. You and think so uh, we would love for everybody to come join us. Yeah, I get, and remind you guys, get on to uh, – well, shoot out the uh, the website, Lucas. It's A-S-T-A, A-S-T-A, U-S-A, dot uh, I believe it's .org, A-S-T-A-U-S-A.org. We'll make sure to have that in show notes for you. For you, 
Um, one of the things that can be ignorance slash bliss slash not connected to reality is that many shop owners believe as of the prior watch. And I say prior watch, Lucas, this, this whole movement, I mean, I can speak for myself. I've seen the last five years where folks are really starting to be accountable, but most shop owners back in the day would think, Oh, technician, they want too much money. Do you think technicians are barking that I need more money? And that is the premise of their problem. Talk to me on that. You know, I, I think there's a lot of different things, and, and it's often, you know, we, we hear a client come in all the time, Frank. You deal with it. I deal with it. A client comes in and says, hey, Bob down the street's charging too much. And when we really start to ask questions, you find out it wasn't that Bob wasn't charging too much. It's that they didn't see the value in what Bob provided. They didn't trust Bob. There was another reason. And as we talk to technicians, as we talk to shop owners, we find this is a whole lot bigger story than just money. You know, and, and one of the things that I talk about all the time is, uh, you know, the engagement, right? I, I take my people to training all over the country, Frank, and they love it. We, we go as a team. We go as a family. We go do fun stuff. We go out to eat. We go to, to theme parks. And, and people say all the time, Lucas, how do you have such a great team? How do you keep such a great team? It's because they're engaged. You know, Frank, I don't know if you know this. We were at a conference a while back, had a wonderful speaker there. She came out. She's been on our show before, and she said, you know, pay is number seven on the list of priorities for human beings when it comes to a job. This is fact, man. We're not celebrating yep. life. And those of you that are running small business like that, you got to remember, you you didn't just vibe a business to chase the money, man. You've got to chase the life you want to design and take as many with you on that. And, and Lucas, I'm seeing it with my eyes the last couple of years. Easy. They were starting to see a vibe where folks can actually enjoy their life. And you know yes. what? We're not chasing the money. Of course, we need the training. We need the hardware. We need all the sophisticated ability to fix these things. But, hey, let me ask you, four-day work week. Yes. We, we covered it a few times on the show. What's the sentiment out there? Four-day work week. Are we, are we working too hard, man? I, I don't know that it's that we're working too hard, but I think we're working too much. How many shops do you know, Frank, working seven days a week? And I think it's ridiculous. I love the idea of a four-day work week. Now, hey, listen, I got a big 10-bay shop to pay for, so I'm just hoping my people ain't listening to this. <laughs> listen, you can be just as profitable in four days as you can be in five days. Uh, and, and I understand these folks who have reasons for being open more and more days and, and more and more hours. But the reality is, is, Frank, you will burn your people out. And, yeah. and that is our most precious resource is our people. We cannot continue to burn them out. A four-day work week is a great way to do that. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Lucas, give some shout-outs to the folks in the garage. Who do you want to shout-out? Oh, man, Eric Sprague, man, out here in the, out here in the shop working for us. Uh, Eric is a longtime technician, and he came from New York City. Now, Frank, you know this. We're down here in the deep south, right? We're in the mountains of North Carolina. It doesn't get more backwoods than this. And seeing this poor old fella from from up there in the the deep New from York the South Bronx. Area, <laughs> that's it. Hey, I met Eric you, with some country boys. Yeah, no, you 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 have an incredible crew over there, man. Yes, sir. I'm blessed, brother. Yeah, very good. Uh, Lucas, uh, tell the people one more time, name of the event, and where can they find more information to register? It is the Fueling Connections event in April 21st. It is going to be from 1 p.m. to about 9 or 10 p.m. We're going to have awards. We're going to have John Gardner come and speak to us. They can find more information information on astausa.org.
Excellent, brother. Thanks for taking time with us. We'll catch up with you and make sure to have all this in show notes. Thank you so much for joining Wrench Nation. Thank you so much, Frank. See you, buddy. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's about. I mean, you guys, uh, first off, you need to stop complaining, whining, and sniveling. Uh, There's an opportunity. Now, this is one of uh, a few events that are happening uh, across the country. I bring this to your attention, April uh, 21st. Put it on the calendar. Take your whole squad. Take your whole team. And if you're a technician, listen, man, we all we all came from some sort of technology. Not many of us in this industry had a bunch of money and decided to go open up a garage out of the blue, right? A lot of us started off as technicians. And, and so here it is. You have the ability to network. Put it on the table and talk about some of the things that uh, that you're looking to change in a positive vibe. So I want you guys to stay tuned. We've got Mr. Carl Anthony. He's going to join us, uh, Automobile Blogs Managing Editor, uh, also host for Auto Sense Insights. We're going to be talking about the latest news and updates, uh, electric vehicles. Stay tuned, Branch Nation. Of course you want your mileage back. And all the extra money you've spent feeding an engine gunked up with carbon. Your car needs its fuel system cleaned, and it needs it now. You need BG44K. It's the one dealerships use the most. In fact, they use BG44K almost 3 to 1 over any other fuel system cleaner made. To find a shop near you, go to BGFindAShop.com. That's BGFindAShop.com. I got my mileage back. bg Bolt-On Technologies Automotive Software Solutions. Auto repair shops that have Bolt-On Technologies software provide customer vehicle condition reports including photos and text, real-time digital reports, multi-point inspections, estimates, and repair information at your fingertips. Info at boltontechnology.com. Parts Authority Auto Parts Superstores, nationwide locations. You know, one of the problems that I can have working in my garage is parts aren't delivered on time, the quality isn't there. Well, guess what? Who's yelling at me? My clients, and they're likely not to come back. Well, the Parts Authority Auto Parts Superstores, amazing service, knowledgeable counter folks, a complete line of original equipment, parts that our customers deserve. If you're an installer, Get on to partsauthority.com. Check locations nationally near you, partsauthority.com. Support for Wrench Nation Car Talk, the smart choice for auto parts, Pronto National Association. Pronto is committed to the independent automotive aftermarket and demonstrates leadership within the automotive industry. Pronto Association is made up of nearly 100 member auto part distributors. Visit pronto-net.com. Automotive technical training, parts lineup, and representation of the automotive member community. Pronto-net.com. Whether you're looking for full-service direct mail or you just simply want a few marketing materials printed for use in your store, MailShark has got you covered. With over 10 years of client service success with direct mail postcards, restaurant box toppers, magnets, and so much more, MailShark is there to help your marketing team acquire the clients you deserve. Pay weekly, pay as you go. There is no pressure, no contracts, direct mail. For more details, visit themailshark.com. 52% of the population family are women. We love you ladies, but less than 3% of you women are professional technicians. Our charity partner, Tech Force Foundation, believes if we want to solve this little technician shortage, 
we need to start talking at 52% of these ladies out in the population. Head on over. If you feel like you can tinker with the best of them, head on over to techforce.org. We made a language for us too. We don't need to describe. Every time you call on me, I drop what I do. You are my best friend and we've got some shit to Welcome back. Get ready for a day packed with insightful industry discussions, networking opportunities, and recognition of excellence in the automotive service industry. April 21st, people, if you're in the industry, join the Automotive Service Entire Alliance for a day of learning and celebration. Man, we need a whole lot more celebration. At the luxurious Marriott South Park in Charlotte, Charlotte, North Carolina. Register ASTAUSA.org. Electric vehicles, man. Some of you, some of you on the fence, it doesn't meet the lifestyle. You've got some situations where it just doesn't seem to fit where you're at in life. Uh, and but you have an interest because the fact is, uh, price points are starting to get realistic. I think we're gonna get a whole lot more inventory, so it's just not Tesla. So to join me in the discussion about the latest on uh, EVs, we've got Carl Anthony. Carl, are you there? Hey, Frank. Good to be here. Thank you. Detroit. We got a Detroiter in-house. Yes, we do. And hey. I have to follow Lucas Underwood. What a what a, what a, a bright guy, man. What a yeah, great he, interview. Lucas is a, is a great individual who, uh, like many of us, you know, you – you sort of start this scratch kitchen and you work your way up and yes, there's coaching. A lot of us, um, you know, I speak for those that are on the fence. They, they don't want to get coaching and they, and they suffer. They're working harder. Um, they're not able to take care of their people the way they should because they don't have the metrics to their business properly. So yeah, Lucas is on the forefront getting a lot of good attention, uh, and is, uh, rolling with a a great presence out in North Carolina. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got to ask you, Detroit. Everyone thinks sure. Detroit. They think Big Three. We're talking electric vehicles. Uh, before we get into a, a couple of these mm-hmm. uh, topic points, what's the sentiment in Detroit? I mean, um, just let's let's start like with the consumer. Do you, do you see a buzz in Detroit, like maybe you would see in San Francisco, um, yeah. about uh, electric vehicles? Yeah, I think so, Frank, because. So much of the workforce here is attached to the automotive industry in one way or another, and electrification is the future. These vehicles are what's coming next. And so if you look just briefly, and I can encourage your listeners to to look this up in their own time, but the Michigan Office of Future Mobility and Electrification, they have a lot of initiatives just statewide to facilitate either the infrastructure or electric vehicle adoption. So I think in Detroit, there is a general support overall because so much of the workforce and so much of the economic prosperity, as it were, so much is tied to uh, so much is tied to the automakers, so much is tied to electrification. Whether you are at one of the legacy OEMs or whether you're working for a supplier or you're working in a different part of the industry, uh, electrification is all over Detroit in every aspect, and electrification really just falls under mobility. There's the larger discussion in Detroit, what is mobility, what does future mobility look like, and electrification is under that umbrella. Yeah, sometimes we, we forget that. I mean, if we just take a whole fleet perspective where, 
you know, we're talking infrastructure for municipalities, you know, between buses and, and how mm-hmm. we transport the public. Uh, there's huge opportunity. Of course, Waymo recently, uh, through years yeah. and years, trials and tribulations, I, they probably have several hundred million miles, proven miles and in, in test miles on these vehicles. And here we are, uh, Chandler, Arizona. I know there's a few other municipalities across the country that have it. But Waymo, you get your app and here you go, uh, driverless uh, taxi. Right. Yeah. And uh, when I was down there just a couple of weeks ago for our in-cabin conference, and Frank, we met for coffee. It was was great to, to finally meet face-to-face, but we saw the Waymo vehicles uh, mapping Scottsdale, driving through Scottsdale. And then similar in Las Vegas, Frank, you mentioned the RoboTaxis. Motional has a program with Hyundai in Las Vegas where they do the ride-hailing service. And then there's also Lake Nona, Florida, which is sort of a living lab, living lab, uh, for all of this type of shuttles and robo taxis, so you're starting to see more of these pockets around the country where this future mobility discussion is not only taking place, but it's actually happening. There, it's a proving ground is actually happening right before our eyes. Yeah, I like the fact that um, in your backyard, University of Michigan has the uh, M City test facility where they yep. actually reproduce that can you speak on that whole m city what, what are they doing that's pretty cutting edge out there yeah so i can i can't speak so much to that but here's here's what i can say just in general with m city and the american center for mobility is that it's all about the validation testing and a lot of this is done under the umbrella of autonomous driving So if we have a vehicle that is supposed to be autonomous or even partially autonomous, or even if it's to have a high-performing ADAS feature, a high-performing advanced safety feature, such as automatic emergency braking or blind spot detection, then you can simulate at American Center for Mobility at M-City, you can simulate roadway environments in order to test and validate these systems. So you're able to go out at night on a closed course. You're able to go out when it's raining. So these places are instrumental in the testing and validation of these advanced safety systems before they hit the road, before they go to consumers. And that they play a huge role in that. And then, of course, a huge role just in the education of what these technologies are and what they can do. Yeah, I think as uh, you know, average consumers that, that are driving – and they, they get their first Tesla, maybe maybe they got wind. What's all the rage right now is is full self-driving, FSD. You pay mm-hmm. a little additional, well, a lot of additional <laughs> for your Tesla. And they're, they're out, you know, sort of proving that technology. Of course, it's in beta mode, but I mm-hmm. don't think, I don't think our, we're not codified uh, from an infrastructure point of view to where, you know, at best, maybe there's sections of road that will start to develop. But I don't, our society's not ready for autonomous, I don't believe. Yeah, it, it's, it's not yet. And electrification is an easier jump to make than autonomy because even though the powertrain is different, you're not replacing the driver. And to, to throw sort of a curveball in here, Frank, I, you know, I don't necessarily think so much that electrification is the future. And let me let me clarify what I mean. Um, I don't think it's electric cars or autonomous cars that are the future. I think it's software-defined cars because 
if you don't have software-defined cars, you don't have electric cars, and you don't have autonomous cars. So when the headlines or when people say, you know, electric vehicles are the future, yes, that's true, but it is what's behind the electric vehicle, the platform, the software-defined car. And in essence, what that is is it's not a mechanical-based architecture anymore, but it's a software-based architecture. And the experience of the vehicle are not defined Maybe, Frank, like you and I and, and listeners of the Wrench Nation show would define experiences in terms of engine and transmission and RPM and dropping the top and letting the wind go through your hair. hair. But software-defined cars are about the tech experiences inside the cabin. So manufacturers look at this and they say, okay, we'll benchmark these vehicles. We'll drop the weight. We'll drop the complexity. We'll drop the number of parts from the engine and transmission. We will fill it with software to have these more advanced tech features or autonomous driving features, um, and more features that can be monetized by the OEMs later, which is a controversial topic. So yes, in a way, electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles are the future, but it's actually software-defined vehicles that enable this transition. So really, software-defined vehicles are the future. And when you get into some of these industry discussions in Detroit, electrification is framed how do we have an electric vehicle? We have a software-defined platform, if that makes sense. No, totally. In fact, you know, um, we're seeing it in the service bay. I, mm-hmm. I love, and then this was some years ago where, and we had to explain to folks, and it was initially it was a hard swallow, like, what do you mean this is going to reprogram like my cell phone, where the vehicle will actually be updated uh, yeah. with a new set of parameters uh, for the vehicle to get rid of what was a brake pedal fade that, that, you know, we had a few cars come in over the years where uh, one shop did all the hydraulic mechanical repairs and they still had a brake pedal fade, didn't pay right. quite close attention. And here's this update to reprogram <laughs> the brake control module and the rest right. of the network to improve a brake pedal. What I find super fascinating, and I, I, I think just from a technical point of view in the service bay, but also for the consumer, yeah. is that now we start grasping in this sort of software-enabled uh, world how we yeah. can machine learn and correct, like almost on the fly. We know that Tesla does this. Tesla's continually uh, updating their vehicles. Uh, a lot of that is uh, input from driver. Uh, right. You know, hey, uh, the, the the wiper didn't work when it was uh, 7 a.m. at such temperature on the left right. side. They can input that. I think that's cool, but also may put mechanics out of business. <laughs> right. And, you know, I'll just I'll take the high level marketing and PR approach here, Frank. But but here's usually how it is packaged. It's OK. A customer has a vehicle that is a, a relatively a uh, non-invasive software update. So it's not a safety critical component. It's a software thing. They, you know, rather than bring that into the dealership to have that reprogrammed and taking time out of, you know, a customer's schedule and taking time out of the dealership schedule to do warranty work, they can beam that software update at three in the morning, you know, when it's sitting in the garage and there's a company right now that actually does this. There's Sibros uh, Technology. Uh, the founder, his name is Mayank Sakaria. They're doing, they have this type of platform that OEMs can invest in. So if there's a software update that needs to be done, rather than the customers going to the dealership, they enable that platform for those software updates to take place. So it is billed as it 
you know, reduces congestion for the dealership and for the shops doing warranty work. And then it's more convenient for the customers because it just happens when it's parked in their garage. You know, speaking of convenient for customers, um, obviously within the Tesla um, A to Z purchase of a vehicle, you, you, there is no dealer that you have to go to. What's the sentiment Correct. with um, the rest of the OEs regarding what the traditional dealership model looks like? Um, are, are they advancing to, I mean, there's always been internet sales, but are they looking at what Tesla's doing or are they pretty fast holding on to their traditional brick and mortar of uh, how we buy cars? Yeah, so that's an excellent question, Frank. Excellent, excellent question. And when I talk to, you know, people in automotive retail, it doesn't appear that the brick and mortar store is going away anytime soon. So like here in Michigan, a lot of the dealerships just in our area in Detroit are renovating. You know, they're remodeling, they're building new show floors, they're redoing their service departments. So they're investing in their brick and mortar stores, but they're they're not they're also investing in their online presence as well. So a couple of quick examples, Polestar, uh, which spun off from Volvo, Polestar has what they call Polestar Spaces. So that's a different dealership experience. It's more of a product specialist oriented thing. Uh, Cadillac and GM, they have online things like sort of an online virtual show floor where you can go to the website and you can, you know, take a tour of say the Cadillac studio, if, if you will, they actually, they unveiled that during COVID, um, you know, when all of when everything was shut down. But I, I think Frank, that traditional dealerships and OEMs, they're going to have to move in this direction towards a product specialist type position versus sales and the pace at which automotive retail is changing and the shift to digital and how it impacts this whole buying process. That is the core of the agenda uh, for the Reuters annual automotive retail conference this May in Las Vegas. I'll say that again, Reuters, the, their annual automotive retail conference this May in Las Vegas. Now, on the agenda for that, OEMs and dealers will gather from, you know, from, from all across the industry. But some of the presentations look at the future of a digital dealership. What does that look like? The secret to driving customer loyalty in a digital age. How do you provide an exceptional online buying experience? And then on day two of that conference, Frank, there's actually a keynote panel discussion that will talk about the economic landscape in automotive retail right now. And if the momentum will continue, if interest rates are going to soar and if customer demand is changing. So this whole dealer conversation, OEMs, like it, it has to happen. We have to have the automotive retail conversation because a future vehicle with all this technology, software defined, electrified, autonomous, a future vehicle does require sort of a future dealership with a future sales professional. Yeah, I mean, I can just hear some of my Tesla uh, mafioso, that's what I call them. I love my yeah. Tesla listeners, and I know uh, we both probably mutually know many that uh, own Teslas, and it's great, great product. Yeah. But there seems to be this whole sort of movement where everything is sort of cell phone based. Sure, you have uh, a few places uh, regarding Tesla that you can go in your local you know, fashion mall and there's a Tesla and you can go yep. in, but yep. it, it just seems like those folks can, I can even fathom walking into a traditional dealership, not to say that Tesla is end all cure all. I think sure. we're, we're going to have some serious competition here coming up on in, in the next year for sure. Um, I imagine that that event 
that's uh, being promoted through Reuters, yeah. that's a serious conversation about how we, we look at, like my daughter, does is my daughter okay right. with, you know, just a smartphone ability to order a vehicle and, and be okay with that? You know, and, and, you know, Frank, when I started in the automotive industry, so it was in 2009, I started selling cars at a dealership called Sioux Falls Ford in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It's part of the Rydell Group. And my trainer there, my sales trainer, who had sold cars in the 1970s, back when there was no internet, when the book, you know, quote unquote, the book was something that only dealers had. And he, I remember him telling me one day, because I was, I was having a hard, I was just having a, I, I was young, I was new to the business, I was having a hard couple of months selling cars. He said, hey, Carl, he goes, my generation ruined it for you. Because we were the ones that invented all of the shady tactics. We were the ones that made car dealerships this insufferable place for customers. And now all these years later, you're dealing with that. So you might, you might be a great salesman. You might be at a great dealership. You might be at a dealership that treats customers very well. But those old stereotypes exist. And he used to say that. He said, my generation ruined it for you. And I'm very sorry about that. And All right. Well, I can imagine like you, I was slinging used cars when I was a young 20 something as sort yeah. of a side gig. And yeah, I mean, that was an era where um, and some of you listening that started during those times or whatnot. Yeah. Keys would disappear. Right. Customer. Where's my key? Well, we're trying to find your key. But in the meantime, uh, the manager yeah. wants to talk to you. They whip out a uh, four square and all that. I mean, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, we're so like that just makes folks want to throw up in their mouth. And of course, dealerships are doing an amazing job now. Let's just face they it. Are. They they, are. They're hip to a, a, a service experience that speaks to the audience in front of them. Hey, that yeah. may be Internet based. It could be phone based. It could be, yeah. hey, I want to spend an hour at the dealer you know, uh, kicking tires. That there, there's still something to be said about the fact that you're going to buy this what second most expensive thing in your life next to your house. Right. Yeah, and and you you kind of want to get intimate, and I don't think it's like ordering Jack in the Box from the phone. It, it's it's completely different, and I I think that there's. I think that what the online experience is designed to do, it's designed to get all of the, it's designed to get all the paperwork out of the way. Okay, I do my credit app online. I, I get I get 90% of the process done. Then I go to the dealership and I do the fun part and I pick it up. Yeah, that's what it's about. Uh, Lucid just announced they're laying off yep. 1,300 employees. I, I know with, uh, you know, the feds, as the feds are trying to tame this uh, sticky inflation, um, which who knows where we'll be a year from now. Uh, it's 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 respected that no matter what size brick and mortar, including an electric vehicle uh, manufacturer that is laying off folks, do you see a turbulent time for a lot of startups uh, in the EV space in the next year or so? I, I think it can be a difficult time right now, Frank. And with regard to Lucid specifically and consumer interest and, and, and sales, I think it's tricky when you have a high-end unit like a Lucid Air, and I'm not picking on Lucid, but just for the sake of an example. Now, on the surface, quick facts, 2022 Motor Trend Car of the Year, 1,200-plus horsepower, over 500 miles of range, 0 to 60 in less than two seconds. It's an amazing vehicle. That's premium. You know, but a starting MSRP of nearly $140,000, which means it's not exactly everyday and affordable. So 
most consumers will look at the spec sheet and say, yeah, I want it. I love it. I'm interested. But it's more of a dream car than a daily driver. And Bob Lutz talks about this in his book, Car Guys versus Bean Counters, that you have to be careful in automotive focus groups because participants are keen to say they love everything. They want the latest and greatest features, but they're in a focus group. Take it with a grain of salt. They're not actually signing the paperwork for the car. When you get into things like Lucid, you are automatically competing with legacy high-profile automakers like Bentley, Aston Martin, Lotus, Lamborghini, and the list goes on. Those automakers are heading towards electrification as well. So I, I can't necessarily speak like for Lucid and other boutique EV makers like them, but I can imagine that it's an incredible challenge to engineer a vehicle that competes against these long-established performance and luxury brands for that price tag. So I think that somebody like a Lucid, it could, be, it, it could be very difficult going forward. It could be very difficult for any EV startup, especially one that's premium like that. And then not only do you have the competition there from, from the legacy high-profile automakers, you have supply chain woes, you have labor shortage, you have a fluctuation in the cost of raw material prices. There is just a lot that's happening all at one time. Yeah, you know, this is this is well stated in the fact that, uh, you know, when you have a startup, it, it's always about how, I mean, cost reduction is huge. We're always trying to dial that in, uh, you know, and I, I think there will be spells of a restructuring plan that center around keeping the company forward. I mean, it always it's always terrible to, to have to lay people off. But um, if we switched gears, I like... When we talk about electric vehicles outside of the Tesla arena, you know, we've gave, mm -hmm. given a ton of coverage for Tesla on the show. I really like the F-150 EV Lightning. Um, I don't like the fact that there's a pretty healthy waiting list, you know. Um, right. What are your thoughts of that that F-150? You, you've got to see them um, yep. in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, and, and the first time I saw the F-150 Lightning, Frank, was during uh, a show here, and it was, it was called Motor Bella. So it was in late 2021, and it was NAIS, North American International Auto Show, was canceled because of the COVID uh, restrictions and quarantine. So in late 2021, the organizers of NAIS did an outdoor show called Motor Bella at the M1 Concourse, and Ford had a huge exhibit there where they were doing drives in their electric vehicles, Mustang drives, and they had a whole exhibit just dedicated to the F-150 Lightning. So it was the first time that I happened to be able to see it and, and, and get in it in public. But one of the things that stands out about the F-150 Lightning is Ford took feedback from truck owners and from truck buyers, and the number one thing that they said was, if you're going to make an electrified F-150, just don't make it weird. <laughs> make All it right, i got to like bring up the Cybertruck because I, I see a bunch of my uh, folks uh, uh, in the Midwest saying, there is no way in heck I'm buying that, that Cybertruck. It, it looks like just this sort of, I mean, the Cybertruck's got some great specifications, but I don't know. I mean, I right. don't know if it's speaking to the truck market more so than it's speaking to Elon Musk, Tesla. We could get it done, and hopefully we sell yep. some of these. Right. I think that when you get into the Lightning, the F-150 is an established truck with a gasoline powertrain that has gone on for generations. It has been the best-selling vehicle for decades in the United States, and then it happens to have an EV variant. 
And this EV variant is the next chapter for the rugged work truck that is the F-150. If you look at the Cybertruck, it's an EV first that just happens to be designed like a truck. Um, the marketing is probably, it's probably two different buyers completely. Sure, yeah. You know, with, with, the, F1, with the F-150 Lightning, so you, you have it looking like a normal truck, uh, just like a looks just like an F-150 XLT. I mean, from, you know, however many yards away from distance, you, you, you know, you can't tell the difference. But I, I think what is interesting is that Ford is very committed to moving that direction. And there are obviously restrictions because if you're going to be towing or going to have heavy payload, that's going to drain the battery. Your range will not be, you know, you're, you're, just like if you have a gasoline engine, your fuel mileage depends on weight and payload and all that stuff. But what I see Ford doing is I see Ford with their powertrain engineering really putting it into the electrification so that the F-150 can essentially one day can meet all the same benchmarks as the EcoBoost F-150s do today in terms of payload capacity and, and range and, and, and all of that. If you're just joining us, uh, Carl Anthony, Automobile Blogs Managing Editor and Founder, AutoVision News. Uh, AutoVision News supports automotive professionals at every level of the industry through a comprehensive content hub of news, analysis, reports, industry updates, and more. Uh, I think you guys will enjoy. There's, uh, If you're a car enthusiast or an in- industry professional, automoblog.net Call, I, you know, I, I get excited about the F-150 because I don't mm-hmm. see extremes. Unlike what was some controversy behind the E-Mach Mustang, so many right. traditionalists felt that, wait a minute, what did you do with my Mustang? And uh, honestly, right. my daughter, she wants an E-Mach Mustang. She has no association other than her gearhead dad. You know, she's seen right. a few 67s in the garage. But she's like, I think it's a cool car. It's got a lot of space, that crossover ability, and it's an EV. Like, so right. did you see some resistance, uh, not just from consumer, but let's say it from the journalists in the industry? Uh, was this a shocker, that EMUC Mustang to the Mustang community? Yeah, I, I think it was. And I saw more, I saw more pushback from consumers and some of our automobile blog readers and from some of the enthusiasts, I think that they felt is they weren't necessarily objecting to the vehicle, this electrified SUV. What they were objecting to was the use of the Mustang name. So in other words, for just call it something else, just whatever you do, just don't put the Mustang, just, just don't put the horse on it. Don't put the running horse on it. And I think that has really been the pushback as far as the enthusiasts go. And if you look at how Ford structures the Mustang, and, and this was when they revealed uh, the last Mustang here at NAIS uh, at Hart Plaza most recently last year, one of the things that Ford communicated was that they wanted to have the courage to let Mustang fans own the brand. So when you have a Mustang, it's different than, say, having a Ford Escape. Now, the Ford Escape is a fine vehicle. We all love the Ford Escape. But people don't have an emotional connection to the Ford Escape that they do the Ford Mustang. So I think enthusiasts look at it and they go, it's not so much 
Ford's car as it is our car. And you see this with Charger and Challenger people. You see this with, you know, Camaro people as well. You see this with American muscle cars. You see this with Jeep people. This is our vehicle, our vehicle, our brand. We own it. And so they were objecting to the use of that Mustang name. That, I think, was the biggest hurdle to get over. But I think that that calmed down a little bit when this new Mustang was announced last year and Ford said, hey, we're keeping gasoline powertrains. We are not going electrified yet. Charger and Challenger may be heading towards electrification. And it looks like with the Camaro being discontinued, who knows? But for right now, Mustang, if you want, if you want a naturally aspirated V8, you can still get it here. Yeah, I think that's a smart move um, from a transition point of view. And more importantly, from a brand um, recognition slash loyalty, I don't think they could have pulled that off in the F-150 arena by a completely no. redesigned and rechanged. Here's our new EV. I think they were very smart to keep the subtle cues of the, you know, the traditional F-150 F XLT as an example and maybe some modifications, upgrades, a right. Tesla charging pigtail. You got to love that. Uh, right. <laughs> and I think they were smart to make that move with the F-150. Right. And, and here's, here's the difficult truth, but it, it's, it's reality of things like the Mustang Mach-E. And I'll go back and I'll, I'll use a story from 10 years ago when I was a service advisor. So I started at Sioux Falls Ford. I mentioned that. I later moved to our sister dealership, which was a Cadillac store, so a Cadillac dealership. I'm a service advisor, Cadillac service advisor in 2012-2013. And I had a, a very beloved customer. I just loved him. He drove a, an 08 DTS, perfect condition. You know, he took care of it, you know, was a typical Sunday driver. And the guy was in his late 70s. And one day he came in for a routine oil change. And we had, at the time, a new ATS on the show floor, uh, which Cadillac actually doesn't make anymore. But at the time, this was a pretty big deal. So we, we had got his car all you know written up, and I got it back to the techs. And he went into the waiting lounge there on the show floor to grab coffee. And so I went out to talk to him. We were talking about the ATS. And he had made a comment that, wow, this is new. You know, I've, I've not seen this before. Wow, this is, you know, a really nice sedan. And I said, yeah, you know, this is kind of the new direction for Cadillac. This is, you know, this is sort of the entry-level kind of affordable ATS, you know, to get younger people interested in the brand. And, Frank, I'll never forget what he said. He kind of he kind of shrugged his shoulders, and he, and he goes, you know, he goes, I don't blame him because people like me, he's like, we're not going to live forever. He goes, look at me. I'm older. He goes, I'm not going to be, he goes, I'm on my last car. He goes, my DTS is the last car I'm ever going to own. He goes, and I can't see young people driving a DTS. He goes, as much as I love it, he goes, my grandkids don't want a DTS. He goes, they want something like this. And I think that is where, that's sometimes a hard truth to swallow, I think, as we get older, you know, but you see this in the collector car community all the time, where at one time it was Cords and Duesenbergs that everybody wanted those, but to a certain group of collectors back in the day, those were old guy cars. Nobody wanted those. Now you're starting to see the collector car hobby change where it's Dodge Vipers and Acuras and, you know, the cars you saw in Fast and Furious. So if you look at the Mustang Mach-E, Mustang Mach-E is for, it's for people like your daughter, Frank. It's for people like my nieces who are growing up in a different world with a different experience and expectation for cars. The Mustang Mach-E, sure, guys like you and I can drive them, Frank, but it's probably not 
for, for traditional guys like us, probably not the intended target market. So well said. Um, I get excited outside of Tesla, and I say this respectfully to the Tesla brand. Uh, They make a great platform. But now we're starting to see more food on the table, more releases of vehicles. And and actually, uh, I got excited over the recent announcement of that Kia EV9. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. what, what's, what's the buzz around that, uh, that Kia that you're seeing regarding, yeah. uh, some of the, uh, super fast charge rates. And of course the totally. whole Hyundai Kia family, this is a big yeah. deal. It, it's a big deal. And Genesis is in the mix as well for a premium brand. But Frank, I'll, I'll go back to the, what I talked about before the software defined architecture. So the Kia EV9 is built on Kia's electric global modular platform. And sometimes you will see this written as EGM-P. That's the shortened version. But that is Kia's architecture that is meant to support their transition to electrification. And what you see in the platform for the EV9, you see a high level of rigidity and a lot of high tensile strength. So what that does is that ensures the passive safety, that ensures like the crash testing um, so that it's safe in the event of an accident. Uh, But that electrified architecture supports all of the electronics that you need for one, the electrified powertrain, but for that level three self-driving feature, the highway pilot driving that they're going to uh, bring out on the GT line. It supports all the infotainment. It supports uh, all of the -the over-the-air updates. As far as specs, what we know right now, so Kia said that they're targeting an all-electric range on a single charge of over 540 kilometers, about 336 miles. And that's according to the World Harmonized Light Vehicle Testing Procedure, which is, which is the, the European Union standard. But regardless, they're targeting over 330 miles of range, 800-volt charging capacity. Uh, the EV9, they say, can be charged uh, in about 15 minutes for uh, almost 150 miles of range. But that all goes back to the platform. Um, And what that platform does, Frank, is that you have, from an engineering and product development side, let's say that in in the EV9 or whatever vehicle, you want the seats to move um, so they can face each other. Um, You have to prevent intrusion into the cabin, prevent intrusion from the battery packs into the interior. That all starts with the platform. So if you have this autonomous driving mode, and you want people to flip around and talk to each other, or you want something really cool to happen with the sunroof, that is all platform-based in how the electronic architecture works and how the battery components are stored underneath so they don't intrude to the cabin. It's, it's like how automakers always talk about a flat load floor, like in the rear of a truck, like in a crew cab truck, you have a flat load floor. You don't have that hump for the powertrain. Right. So you can stick a long box there. It's very similar to that. So The EV9, for me, Frank, the big thing is that platform, that electric global modular platform. It all starts there. If Kia nails that platform, if they get that platform down and they can transition that to all the other electrified vehicles in their lineup, I think they'll be able to deliver uh, some pretty strong vehicles to the market. And they're not the only ones. I mean, Toyota, Lexus, Nissan, VW, Cadillac, a lot of automakers have these electrified, software-defined specific platforms that we're really going to start to see uh, in the next few years more and more. Yeah, I get excited about the uh, Kia EV9. If you're if you're listening and you've got uh, a small, mid, large family, uh, this is a three-row SUV right. um, that has some great styling, uh, has some great electrical architecture, as Carl is mentioning. And I love the idea of 
sort of progressing uh, to, to a more convenient DC fast charger. I drove by today, and, and it is what it is. I don't drive a Tesla, but I saw this Tesla supercharging station, and say mm-hmm. what you will, everybody was in their vehicles, they were on their phones, some were cleaning yep. it while they were charging, and I think I think we will see as uh, the science of batteries develops, um, the the infrastructure to that development and the natural resources as we evolve, because we know uh, cobalt, that's not a forever mineral. That's not forever with us. We're going to have to uh, consider that. I got excited about this Kia EV9. And as you mentioned, uh, certainly over the next year uh, to 18 months, we're going to start to blitzkrieg uh, some pretty interesting, well, let's face it, competition for Tesla. Right. Right, absolutely, and if and if anything else, I mean, if nothing else, Tesla Tesla has set the groundwork, you know. Absolutely, for yeah. Kind of the, you know, again, people would say the original EV. I'll say the original software-defined vehicle. That's really what Tesla is: the original software-defined vehicle that sort of opened up all of this possibility. That's amazing, uh, Carl. You're pretty active in the industry. You travel the country at trade shows. I want to give you the opportunity. Tell folks where you'll be maybe in the next uh, month or two. You mentioned Reuters. Uh, Let the folks know where they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. So our AutoSense conference returns uh, in mid-May next month to uh, downtown Detroit. So auto-sense.com, that's our industry conference for self-driving cars and autonomous vehicle technology. So I will be there in downtown Detroit for our AutoSense conference. Uh, also doing a, a Reuters webinar. I'll be uh, moderating a Reuters webinar coming up. We'll post to our Twitter for that all the exact details. But um, either, but other than that, Frank, I'm going to be probably sitting in front of my computer doing a lot of writing and, and editing over these next couple of months. So Which we, we really enjoy. Uh, periodically, we'll pull out a story from automoblog.net, and we certainly appreciate uh, your talented team of writers. I invite you, if you're listening, automoblog.net. It's a great uh, great platform if you're an enthusiast or a professional. And I love the fact that you're on the cutting edge with AutoSense, uh, AutoVision News. Um, you're doing a lot of great things, Carl. Thank you, Frank. And likewise, I want to say thank you to you and your wrench, and want to say thank you to you and your Wrench Nation listeners for having me on. Uh, privilege to be here. I enjoy your I enjoy your TV segments, Frank. I, I think you do a lot for consumers to raise awareness of vehicle safety and vehicle maintenance, and and you do and it's fun when you do it, man. Uh, so so well, that's what it's about. Here. We're we're car people. We're <laughs> car people. We're gonna have some fun. Carl Anthony, you rock, brother. We'll catch up soon, and we yep. appreciate you hanging with Wrench Nation. Thank you so much. Thank you, Frank. Yeah, that's what it's about, people. You know, so keep your eyes and ears open. And and here you go. Here's another quick tip. As I've said with uh, gas vehicles, you're going to start to see some more rental agencies like Enterprise and Hertz. Uh, they're they're going to they're going to make some deals with uh, the other uh, EV companies. Hey, rent that EV that you're interested in and see if it's practical. That's a great way uh, to give it a life test drive as i as i say it so i appreciate you guys hanging a big shout out to kmet out in the desert of california every saturday and if you missed the show please podcast is uploaded sunday monday we get it up to the website wrenchnation.tv as i tell you every week be safe hug each other and never forget to hug a mechanic